Hello and welcome to Frankly Speaking, where we dive deep into regional headlines. I speak with leading policymakers and business leaders. I am Katie Jensen. As the fate of 2.3 million Gazans remains uncertain, with thousands dead, many more injured and a million and a half forced to flee their homes, we speak with Francesca Albanese, a United Nations Special Rapporteur on the occupied Palestinian territories. We ask her about the underlying dynamics of the conflict and whether anyone will be held accountable for the atrocious war crimes being committed against civilians. And with a rapidly rising death toll and no ceasefire in sight, we ask if the UN has once again failed the Palestinian people. Albanese, thank you for joining us on Frankly Speaking. Now, as a UN Special Rapporteur and an international human rights lawyer, you've warned previously that decades of Israeli occupation and increasing violence against the Palestinians would ultimately result in a catastrophe. So would you say you had accurately predicted this recent escalation? And frankly speaking, was anyone listening? Hi, Katie. Um... I, I think I think that uh, what's happening is uh, worse, and it's getting much beyond what I could have ever predicted. Uh, both uh, myself and my predecessors, for 20 years, for 20 years, this mandate has cried out the need to respect international law as the only possible way to get out of the already critical situation that was ongoing in the occupied Palestinian territory. The impunity has been, uh, has been tolerated for far too long. At the same time, what Hamas has done uh, on the 7th of October goes beyond what legitimate resistance is because the massacre of civilians is never justified, cannot be justified. And the only way to have a loud, clear, um, unchallengeable legal and moral voice right now is to condemn the attacks on civilians, whomever they are. And with the same strength, I say, how on earth is possible that the world is watching without intervening, without collectively call for a ceasefire while Israel is, unle is unleashing a total war on Gaza. Because how can this ever be understood as dismantling Hamas military when 5, 000, over 5,000 people in Gaza, 40% of whom are children, have already been killed? This is to stop because the life of civilian has already been endangered and how how will the Palestinians and Israelis after all these being able to be able to resume normal life it's critical I, I seriously don't know and I mean for a long time you have said we need to call a spade a spade you've said that the Israeli occupation is indisputable and because of that you say the Palestinian people should not be held equally responsible for the conflict I, I have to ask 
has your view of that, has your view of that now changed? Now, you say the Palestinians are the ones being occupied, but of course, Israel has said they have the right to self-defense. Have, the, have the, uh, the, the, the conflict that took place on October 7, has that now changed your view? Do you feel that Hamas is now the ones to blame? As I said, Hamas is to blame for the killing, the brutal killing of civilians, because in a context of hostilities, while military targets are legitimate and killing a soldier is a tragedy, killing a civilian is a war crime. Killing civilians is absolutely prohibited. The conflict, if we want to call it like that, didn't start on the 7th of October. And yes, I've said that the occupation that Israel has maintained on the on West Bank, including East Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip, is illegal for many reasons, including because it has translated into a default apartheid, into a vehicle to colonize Palestinian land, to forcibly displace people, to arbitrarily arrest and detain adults and children alike, to impose martial rule over millions of Palestinians, including blockaded Gaza, because Gaza has been, we shall not forget, under an illegal blockade for 16 years. And during these 16 years, five wars had already taken place in Gaza, in 2008, in 2012, in 2014, in 2021, in 2022. And these five wars had already caused the death of 4,200 people, including 1,100 children. Let's talk about that a little bit, because I think you raise a, a very interesting point there. I saw your tweet recently that Israel killed nearly as many Palestinians in the first nine days as in five previous wars against Gaza, as you mentioned there. Now, many have questioned what a proportional response would have looked like for the October 7 attacks, given Israel has come out and said it has a right to defend itself. There are two things here. The right to self-defense that Israel has invoked under Article 51 of the UN Charter um, is quite clear. It, it entitles a state to repel an attack that comes from another state. So the, the, the action to repel this attack so must be necessary to repel the attack based on its intensity uh, and scope and any, in any way proportionate, proportional. In 24, 30 hours, Israel had regained control of its territory. So as of then, the right of self-defense in its own territory, if self-defense is to be applied, was exhausted. But here there is another thing, and there is a jurisprudence of an international court of justice that says that self-defense cannot apply in a context of uh, military occupation when, uh, when, in this case, Israel is occupying another, another uh, state, another people. So does it mean that Israel had to passively leave what Hamas had inflicted? No, as I said, the, uh, the protection of Israeli citizens had to be ensured. And, the, and that, that military presence of Hamas had to be 
uh, uh, repelled. This was done. But you feel what, it's obviously been much more uh, over the top. And we are now seeing the, the situation where millions of people have left. In fact, uh, the official figures from the UN, 1.6 million Gazans have now been forced to flee their home, um, according to the UN. Now, this is more than half of Gaza's population. You have described this as the largest attempt of ethnic cleansing that the land has ever seen. Would you say that, that it seems like Gazans have now reached a point of no return? Katie, let me add one point. Uh, and sorry if my previous reply was long, but I really would like to make clarity on this. The moment Israel has started bombing the entire Gaza Strip um, without uh, without a clear military aim, because a military, clear military aim could be dismantling Hamas military capacity. This could be one, but this has not been the language. This has not been the intent. And the intent has been to eradicate Hamas as a whole. Hamas is also a political entity. So what does it mean in practice? And in fact, what has followed, supported by other statements of uh, Israeli politicians and leaders who have qualified the Palestinians as human animals, have uh, declared that all Palestinians in uh, Gaza are responsible for Hamas actions and so their, their uh, backbone should be broken. The language used is extremely dangerous. It's genocidal language has been used and the alarm has been raised by hundreds of scholars. So we should listen to, for once, to international lawyers. Yeah, the reaction on Gaza, going to your last question, Israel has launched an average of 6,000 bombs per week over a strip of land which is 360 square kilometers inhabited by 2.2 billion people, half of whom are children. It has targeted inter entire residential buildings. It, had it has destroyed over 42% of the housing capacity uh, in Gaza. It has targeted hospitals, mosques, churches, markets. Over, over 5,000 people have been killed. As I said, 40% of these are children and 20%, actually there is also, I know I don't want to give figures I'm not sure about, but the number, there are many women and elderly per persons. Yes, and they've denounced okay. the possibility of an ethnic cleansing. Okay. Because and, one and thing I think that that's is a really important clarification and I appreciate your explanation there as well. But I guess what, what my main question here is, do you now feel that Gazans are now at the point of no return? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Because uh, concerning the claim of ethnic cleansing that I've made, there are two things. First, there is the intent. Israel has ordered the evacuation of 1.1 million people, so half of the population from northern Gaza. How can this even be considered legal? Uh, when there are people, people in hospital, women and children, and again, elderly person who cannot move, but the other element, move where? Because the south, where people have been ordered to move, uh, is being bombed. It has been bombed and it's destroyed. L there is no capacity 
to have this, to accommodate these people. So let's let's talk about the legality a little bit because again, I, th I think you make you make such an interesting point there. The fact that civilians were given mere hours to evacuate and were told to move south in order to stay safe because they are civilians, but they're simply not safe in South Gaza. There is indiscriminate bombing. We know that there is no uh, uh, division between military uh, attempts at bombing as well as civilians. We know the schools, hospitals are being targeted as well. So I want to ask you about legality of this because you're also you are the UN Special Rapporteur but you're also an international human rights lawyer. Now you have called for Israel and Hamas to be held accountable for the international crimes that are taking place. However Palestine is part of the International Criminal Court in The Hague but Israel much like the US and Russia they are not. So I have to ask is there not enough of a strong legal case here or do you find that, that cases like this always fall upon deaf ears? There is a strong case for the office of the prosecutor to send out investigators. There was already a strong case for the office of the prosecutor to send out investigators because you Is know, that Katie, though? during the 16 months of my mandate, I've, I've said, I've reported 61 Israeli killed and 460 Palestinian killed. This was before the 7th of October. How can this be possible? Because there, was, there were no active hostilities. And Israel has attacked, uh, militarily attacked uh, refugee camps, made uh, hundreds of incursions in uh, Palestinian cities, towns. There have been real pogroms carried out by armed settlers against defenseless Palestinian um, villages in the, in the West Bank. This is not legal. International humanitarian law and human rights law has been breached over and over. And moving back to Gaza once again, it, even, even when there is a legitimate reason to attack, the attack is to be proportionate. It needs to respect the principle of distinction. So civilians have always to be spared and not being indiscriminately targeted. And there is a principle of precaution to be, to be observed. None of this has been observed. All the more, there is an element which is even more serious. Gaza was already under an illegal blockade, unlawful under international law, constituting a war crime and a collective punishment. And even that has been heightened because the blockade has been tightened since the 7th of October. Uh, Israel has declared that no food, medicines, water and fuel would enter Gaza. So it has prevented the entry of humanitarian aid, which is needed to prevent starvation of people. And of course, the big thing now is that we're now hearing uh, several humanitarian agencies saying they're going to have to close down operations because fuel is being stopped. We are seeing slow amounts of aid coming in and, and certainly the crisis is only getting bigger. Now, I know you've been in this position for roughly about a year and a half. You've often talked about the fact that you've seen increasing violence towards Palestine since uh, since you first began a special rapporteur. But of course, a lot of the views that you've expressed, you've been accused of being anti-Semitic. You're facing quite an aggressive campaign, in fact, to remove you from your current position. Does that concern you at all? Uh, to the extent that it's used to distract the public from the findings that I bring uh, to the attention of the United Nations. 
because, again, if there was a challenge, I mean, the defamatory attacks have been used against my predecessors as well, so it's nothing new. It's been, this kind of attacks ad hominem have been used against anyone who has dared criticizing um, the, the Israeli policies and practices vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinians. So I was not particularly surprised. Yes, they are very violent. But again, um, the, the louder the message, the louder the denunciation, the uh, more violent the response. But let's, let's go return to the main issue. The question is that nothing, nothing that I've said in my three reports on self-determination and how Israel violates it, on arbitrary, widespread and systematic arbitrary deprivation of liberty in the occupied Palestinian territory, and now on children, the violations that are committed against children and child Palestinian children, this has never been challenged. The substance of my factual and legal analysis remain valid, and this is why I urge the international community to consider this first and foremost. Okay, so you are saying that, uh, that there is every reason for inspectors to be sent out to make sure that Hamas as well as Israel is held accountable. We haven't seen that take place so far. And I want to ask you a little bit about your day job. I'm sure that is particularly challenging. I've heard reports that, uh, that Israeli officials both refuse to meet you or even respond to any of your inquiries. Is that accurate? It, it is accurate. But, I mean, I'm very creative and uh, I've not been stopped. Of course, it's very serious for me as a UN um, independent expert. It's very serious that Israel, as a member state of the United Nations, prevent uh, human rights monitors, including myself, from entering the occupied Palestinian territory because over the ter this territory, Israel doesn't have sovereignty. It acts as if, but it does not. And so it should be also challenged more in, uh, in being more observant of international obligations. But you know, I've been, uh, regarding my daily job, for example, to write this report, the last report on children, I've had dozens of meetings with uh, groups of children everywhere in, uh, in the Gaza Strip, Jenin, Tulkarem, um, Jerusalem, uh, Hebron, uh, Masaferiata, and various parts of Gaza. So there were children representing the entire, of course, Jerusalem, children uh, representing the entire occupied territory. And I've discussed with them uh, many issues concerning their life. And I've also relied on technical experts, particularly uh, psychiatrists, who have uh, who, who work on uh, in the field of uh, child protection and a variety of experts including human rights organizations from uh, the occupied palestinian territory and israel and i maintain very active communication with both israelis and palestinians who are on the, on the ground so let's say the access of, let, the access to the information is not necessarily hampered, but what is missing is there is a lot of my reporting that doesn't reflect my own observation being in the landscape. 
physically in the landscape where all these is and and of course this is regrettable and of course you know the fact that more than 60 percent of gaza's population are under the age of 18 and the impact that this is having as entire families and generations is being wiped out is shocking but i wanted to get your thoughts because antonio guterres has made headlines this week for his uh comments that were expressed at the un this week now israel's response has been that their ambassador to the un gilad erdan has said it's time to teach the UN a lesson. He says Israel will withhold visas from UN officials in response to Guterres' comments yesterday. So tell me, what are your thoughts on that? Um, this is not uh, the way uh, a dignified, um, I mean, this is not the way a UN member state act relate to the UN it's very disrespectful and also it doesn't take into account the fact that the UN Secretary General uh, is speaking on on the humanity of the people involved he has uh, he has um, condemned unequivocally on many occasions what Hamas has done he has he has expressed his sorrow and his uh, his uh, his proximity to the to the people in Israel and frankly beyond that to anyone who felt affected uh, who had been affected by the Hamas uh, Hamas criminal actions at the same time he has said something very wise in my view he has also expressed concern grave concern for the situation in Gaza he has been at the Rafah border trying to use all the pressure he could to make humanitarian aid enter and yesterday he put he said something that it's very true we cannot consider what has happened on the 7th of october in a vacuum because if if think for a moment katie and and again this is not necessarily a, a view that i that i endorse that i embrace but think of this if what hamas has done to Israeli civilians justified the fury and rage that Israel is using, is unleashing now against the Palestinian. Does it mean that the thousands of lives and the massacres that Israel has committed against the people in Gaza justify similar violence? This is the, this is the reason why I'm saying it's an opportunity for the international community to help both Israelis and Palestinians to come to terms with their pain, to recognize the pain of the other, the humanity of the other, and the need to respect equality in rights, freedom, and dignity of all. The root causes of this brutal reality, this horrific reality that we are all part of today, um, have to be addressed once and for all. And it cannot be done by continuing to treat Israeli 56-year-old occupation as business as usual. This has been, in my view, the mistake that the international community has made until now. And frankly, and frankly, I don't see any opening to change the course of action because the most influential members of the, let's say, the international community are have rallied in full defense of whatever Israel is doing and the fact that they are not calling for a ceasefire 
when over 5,500 people in Gaza have been killed. Well, let's, let's talk about the international reaction a little bit, because again, Antonio Guterres' comments were certainly welcomed, I think, in the Arab world. But world and I think he made the point that, you know, no one condones the, the, uh, the killing of civilian life in Israel that we saw. However, he said this incident did not happen in a vacuum. We are talking about a 75-year-old conflict, decades of occupation uh, that has taken place in the Palestinian territories. But I want to ask your thoughts a little bit, because uh, I saw you had warned previously about the dangerous narrative that is being written that ignores these decades of oppression against the Palestinian people. Now, we've seen many Western media outlets being slammed for their portrayal of the conflict. Now, we saw some news organisations issue an apology after they had incorrectly reported that babies had been beheaded by Hamas on the recent October 7 um, attacks. Now, we saw President Joe Biden echo this sentiment as well until the White House did a U-turn when the Israeli government came out and admitted that these reports could not be confirmed. So I have to say, do you feel that there is a deliberate attempt to misinform the public here? Cathy, I do not have the elements to say that there is a deliberate attempt to see, but I do not see professional journalism ethics at work. I see sloppiness. I'm sorry, but... Every journalist, like any, any professionals, should verify the information before, uh, before diffusing it, but also should report on all facts, on all circumstances, and, uh, and try to inform. I mean, eventually the media are a channel between the ground and the larger population. And I've seen that there is a lot of bias. There has always been... A, like a latent bias in the way certain conflicts, certain realities are reported. But now, I mean, there are, I mean, sometimes I participate in interviews where there is not even mention of what happens in, to, to, the, to the human beings who live in Gaza. So just referring to data and, uh, and uh, formulaic expressions to draw the attention once again to what has happened in Israel. And I say, isn't it, pos isn't it possible to express solidarity to both people who are, as of the 7th of October, who have, going through, uh, who have gone through hell? And for many of them, this hell is nothing new. So this is what I think the media should do, being impartial and objective. And many of them are not, not behaving uh, accordingly. And again, it does feel like so many civilians are being caught in the crossfire of a much wider political problem. But uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on a recent incident that uh, also received a lot of condemnation around the world. Tell me, what is your opinion of the narrative that's been said about the Al Ali uh, hospital attack? Do you agree with the narrative that it was a Hamas member from within Gaza who accidentally hit it? I do not have the element to, to determine what was accurate. I've seen conflicting, yeah, conflicting narratives because in the beginning there have been many warnings uh, by the Israeli military to the hospital to evacuate and, uh, and the persons responsible, the medical personnel responsible for the hospital 
communicated that they were not able to evacuate because there were seriously injured uh, people and other patients. So a hospital is never, a, it cannot be a target in, in military operations. So other measures had to be taken if there was a legitimate suspect, a credible suspect, a suspicion that, that Hamas militants were in there. But immediately after the, the, the bombing, there were a couple of tweets that inferred that the Israeli military had hit the hospital because there were uh, Hamas operatives in there. And then uh, there have, I think these tweets have been we removed. We saw those tweets deleted quickly afterwards as well. Did that raise suspicion in your mind as someone who has uh, been involved in the region for quite some time? I don't know, but I also, I, there is one thing that is important to say. There is a commission of inquiry who is investigating right now on all the violence that, and all the crimes that have been committed as of the 7th of October. And it's the commission of inquiry appointed by the UN um, Human Rights Council in May 2021. So I, I wait for the for the results of their investigation. There has been an investigation by Forensic Architecture that is the same organization uh, who has uh, uh, produced, who has uh, offered the reconstruction of the killing of Shirin Abu Akhle. Mm. I, I looked at it and I mean, it's, it portrays a different version from what the Israeli military has said, but the Israeli military version is also corroborated by other intelligence services. But again, they the haven't necessarily been accountable again, and you know, not to go into, into the, the wider story about it now, again, Shireen was very clearly, uh, you know, wearing, um, wearing a, a kit that said press as well. And again, you know, it came out that it was an accident, but no one has really been held accountable for it, despite the Israeli uh, uh, government's claims. But, uh, but I want to ask your thoughts uh, about the Security Council's inability to be able to impose a ceasefire, something you've mentioned uh, a few times. The fact we're seeing a lot of pushes for aid to get through, but we're not seeing the international community, nor even the Security Council, able to call for or properly impose a ceasefire. Would you say that the UN has once again failed the Palestinian people? I think that the UN is failing both the Palestinian and the Israeli people to be frank, because all of them deserve peace and stability, which is the responsibility, maintaining which is the responsibility of the UN Security Council. Um, I, I've said from the very beginning that what I see uh, happening as of the 7th of October is a political and a humanitarian catastrophe of epic proportions. And the political element is in this. The UN Security Council has been unable, and primarily because of the of the of the veto of the United States, has been unable to call for a ceasefire, and that resolution also called for the immediate release of the hostages and humanitarian, a, yeah, a humanitarian ceasefire that would also allow humanitarian aid to enter. What is the problem with asking for a ceasefire? Humanely, I, legally, it's extremely pro problematic. But from a humanity point of view, what is the problem with it? Because it would save life. It would give the possibility to the United Nations to let humanitarian aid, much needed humanitarian aid, uh, enter uh, the, the, the Gaza Strip at the, at the point where the people are really bleeding. There is the, the re I don't think that in the 
people outside uh, Gaza uh, that we can understand what's what's happening, the hell that the people are going through right now. No water, no medicine. The hospitals are shutting down. Uh, the, 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 the sky is falling upon them and they have no one, no one intervening. Mm. Lala, like we said before, the fact that more than 1 and 1.6 million people have been displaced already and then have no safe space to be able to call their home, even in South Gaza, where we are seeing indiscriminate bombing happening between military zones as well as civilians as well. The pictures that are coming out really are, are horrifying. But, uh, but I wanted to ask you one final question uh, before we go. We are now seeing aircraft carriers being moved to the region. There's talks of creating an anti-Hamas coalition as well. Indeed, uh, Netanyahu has vowed that Israel's response is going to change the Middle East forever. So tell me, in your opinion, how do you see this current chapter of the conflict finishing? <laughs> I wish I'm, I'm grateful you you, you uh, quoted that that particular statement by Netanyahu because I think particularly his allies should ask what he means by uh, provoking a generational change in the Middle East and I fear for what it might mean because on the one hand eradicating Hamas if it, if eradicating a political movement was possible would have Again, you can er eliminate all Hamas uh, supporters, militants, but keeping a population under oppression, as Israel has done with the Palestinians for decades, would make another form of resistance re-emerge. This is really a natural course of, of action. And yes, I'm really scared that, the, that this situation can spill over an entire region which is already critically affected because I think all of, I mean you are seeing the the streets and the squares of um, of Arab cities being full of people protesting and they protest because they think that the, the Palestinians deserve justice I think again from my position I can say I speak from a place of humanity and I have a clear people-centered approach and there is no one life that is more important than the other. And this is why I've said, in the interest of both the Palestinians and the Israelis, the current hostilities must stop. And the realistic international law-oriented solution is to be found now, because tomorrow can be too late. Very wise words indeed, and I think the big issue is that ultimately if this conflict has any chance of being resolved, it needs to be uh, negotiated at the peace table, certainly not with this constant violence where, as we are seeing, generations of families being wiped out. Horrible stories this week of uh, Palestinian mothers having to write their children's names on their bodies lest they are attacked and just... Just absolutely devastating. Mr. Albanese, thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your insights on this horrific conflict. We appreciate your time. Thank you.